Thank you. As the visiting minister today, I feel compelled to say you have the best choir and orchestra I have ever heard. From the earliest of times, hunters, farmers, warriors, shepherds, and sailors have always been intrigued with what the weather is going to do and what, is going to, what it is going to be up to next. In fact, through uh, millennia, human beings have tried to figure out the weather, uh, informally for many years and then since the 19th century in a formal way. Weather forecasts are very important all the way from uh, the launch of a space shuttle to driving down the street. They affect what we're going to wear what we're going to do, and where we're going to go. In fact, weather is so crucial these days that we have a weather app on our phones, and you can go and get the radar. You can find out exactly what the weather is up to the minute, 24-7. So the weather is very, very important. Some of you will remember the year we were down at the State House many years ago, and we were fixing to do the Celebration of Liberty. Thousands of people were down there, and boom, the weather hit. And we had 55 and 60-mile-an-hour winds, Scaffolding was coming down. People were scurrying. My daddy and my brother got over our children and protected them. And it was, a, it was a torrential thing when the weather hit there. Let's take a little survey. How many of you, either in the past 24 hours, have either watched the weather on television, read a forecast, or listened to a forecast? My point has been proven. The weather is of great concern to us. That shows how concerned it is. If I was with Jim Gandy this morning in the WLTX True View Forecast Center, I would say something like this. The winds are out of the south at 5 miles per hour. The humidity is 81%. The temperature is 71 degrees. This afternoon, we're expecting storms. The low tonight will be about 68, and the high tomorrow will be about 85, and we're expecting storms intermittently through the day. We would give the forecast. And you know what, folks, with all the computers, the technology, everything we have available to us, I want to tell you something. They still can't get the forecast right all the time. But I will tell you this morning, there is a forecast that is 100%. And I'll tell you what that is. There is a 100% chance of storms in your life and in mine. I want to read our text from Matthew, the 14th chapter, verses 22 through 34. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land. A stadia was about 600 feet. It was already uh, many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, they were on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 10 miles wide. The Sea of Galilee is about six to 650 feet below sea level. And storms can come quickly, and they can be very violent. It's a pretty shallow lake, and they come off the hills there. The cold air comes, and the storms can come quickly. And in the fourth watch of the night, that means about 3 o'clock a.m. to 6 o'clock a.m., he came to them walking upon the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him, And said to him, O you of little faith, 
Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. Today, I want to tell you, first of all, the reality of storms. There's a couple of things about this reality. No one is exempt. A man drives to work and punches his time card, and he's soon confronted by a supervisor over minor things. Storms. A strong thunderstorm sweeps through the area and destroys a farmer's crops and barns. The farmer's already in debt. Storms. The loss of a loved one. Storms. Parents sit on the couch at 3 o'clock a.m. wondering where their son is for fear that he's been drinking. The dad sitting on the couch drinks another beer as he's waiting. Storms. My husband is having an affair. Storms. I have important decisions to make. Storms. My friend has hurt me. Storms. I'm upset with someone and I can't get over it. Storms. Trying to work out the calendar to fit the schedule. Storms. Having an argument on the way to church. I know that didn't happen at all, but storms. And on and on the list goes. Some are physical, like tornadoes, floods, and earthquakes. And some are personal, like death, job problems, soured friendships. Storms are a part of life. In fact, everyone who hears my voice today, whether it's through the television, whether it's here in our building, in fact, everyone that's living today, I can promise you this. You are either in the middle of a storm, you have either just gone through a storm, or you will be going through a storm. There is 100% chance of storms. So the reality of storms is that no one is exempt And then the other reality is there are storms of correction and storms of perfection. Warren Wiersbe said, as we read our Bibles, we discover that there are two kinds of storms. Storms of correction when God disciplines us and storms of perfection when God helps us grow. Jonah was in a storm because he disobeyed God and had to be corrected. The disciples were in a storm because they obeyed Christ and had to be perfected. Jesus had tested them in a storm before when he was in the boat with them. But now he tested them by being out of the boat. So we see, first of all, that storms are going to come, and nobody is exempt. Secondly, the revelation in storms. God reveals to us his providence. Our text tells us that the Lord compelled them. He constrained them to get into the boat. They had just fed the 5,000, and what was happening was they were so excited about this, the crowd was wanting to get Jesus and make him an earthly king. And the disciples were about to fall prey to this also. So Jesus knew that he needed to get the disciples in the boat and get them out of there, and he needed to get the crowd dispersed. Now, folks, Jesus knew the storm was coming, but he sent them, he compelled them to go right in the middle of it. Were they in God's will? Absolutely. Did they experience strife and storms? Absolutely. Did the Lord forget about them? Absolutely not. He retreated to pray for them because he knew what, he was, what was coming. He said Jesus went alone. He was praying for them. And he kept his eye on them. They could not see him, but he had his eye on them all the time as he was praying for them. The Bible tells us that Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, 
Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Alan Radpath said, There is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has come past God and past Christ right through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with great purpose. The truth of the matter is, is that being in the will of God does not mean the absence of storms. Sometimes he sends us there. Next, they reveal God's presence. In verse 25, it says that he came to them. As I mentioned, Jesus kept his eye on them. He came to them. It's important to notice when he came. He came in the darkest part of the night. He came at the worst part of the storm. And the other Gospels, this is recorded in three different Gospels. The other ones give account that they had been toiling and rowing. They had been working hard. They had been furious in the storm. So he came to them at the deepest, darkest point of the night. Isn't that how he does with us? When we need him the most, that's when he comes to us in his great power. He comes because he understands what we are going through, and he loves us. Max Licato tells the story of a little boy who went into the pet store to buy a doll. He said the little boy went in, and he told the owner he wanted a puppy. The owner rolled out a box of puppies, and the little boy looked at the puppies, and he said, I'll take this one. And the owner, he asked the owner, how much? The owner said, well, it's this much. And the little boy said, well, I'll have to earn some money and come back in a few days. And the owner said, well, puppies like this go quick. And the little boy said, nah, not mine. I'm not worried about that. So the little boy went and worked. He came back. He had his little wadded up money. He went up and put it for the owner. The owner looked at it. The owner counted it. He said, okay, pick out your puppy. So he went down in the box, and he pulled out this skinny little puppy that had a brace on its leg. The owner said, you don't want that puppy. He can't run with you. He can't fetch anything. The little boy said, sir, that's exactly the puppy that I've been looking for. He got his puppy, and the owner started to say something else to him. He didn't, and he watched the little boy walking out the door. And when he watched him, he noticed that the little boy had a brace on his leg. That's what God does for us, folks. He understands. He's been where we've been. And he cares for us in the midst of this. That is Emmanuel, God with us. Storms reveal God's providence. Storms reveal God's presence. And they also reveal God's power. He came walking on the water. This shows his deity. This shows his power. Jesus came to them walking on the water because he has all power and all authority. Matthew Henry says, This is a great instance of Christ's sovereign dominion over all creatures that, are under all, that all are under his feet and all at his command. It is sufficient that it proves his divine power. Warren Wiersbe says, Why did Jesus walk on the water? To show that the very thing they feared was only a staircase for him to come to them. Often we fear the difficult experiences of life, such as surgery or bereavement, only to discover that these experiences bring Jesus Christ closer to us. In verse 27, Jesus said, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And when he said, Keith alluded to this a minute ago, when he said, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. He literally meant, I am. Those are all the words you need. When Jesus says, I am, he is the creator of the universe. He is the savior of the world. He is the peace in the storm. 
He is the upholder of all things. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the Word. He is the wisdom of God. He is the power of God. He is the Lamb of God. He is the vine. He is the tree of life. He is the bread of life. He is the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the healer. He's the rock. He's the righteous judge. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jerry Vine says, I am what? Jesus is whatever you need him to be. Just fill in the blank. He said for the person who's going through a guidance storm, Jesus says, I am the way. For the person who's going through an intellectual storm, Jesus says, I am the truth. For the person who's going through a health storm, Jesus says, I am the life. Jesus has all the power for every storm we may experience. Next, which storms reveal God's promise. The Lord told Peter to come. Now, Peter didn't just hop out of there. I imagine Peter had to be convinced, Lord, is it you? And then once he knew it was the Lord, then he was ready to jump out. We always, uh, you've heard the pastor mention this before, we beat up on Peter. Well, Peter sunk. Peter was the only person that had the faith to get out of the boat. The rest of them stayed paralyzed there. But Peter got out of the boat. And, of course, we saw the story, and you know the truth is, is that Peter got out of the boat, and when Peter had his eyes on the Lord, he was okay in the storm. But when Peter took his eyes off the Lord and started focusing on his circumstances, that's when he had trouble. Fear and faith do not mix. Fear is always contrary to faith. Matthew Henry says, Christ bid him come, not only that he might walk upon the water and know Christ's power, but that he might sink and know his own weakness. He also goes on to say, but Christ let him sink to show him that it was Christ's right hand and his holy arm, not any skill of his own, that was his security. Peter stood on the promises of God, and that's where we should stand today. The Lord promises in Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, and though the rivers, though they, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. And notice he didn't say if you pass through the waters. He said when you pass through the waters. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Next, in the storms, he reveals his peace. In verse 32, when he got into the boat, the wind stopped. Jesus is the peace in the midst of the storm. In John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. In Philippians 4, 7, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Then God reveals his purpose. Now, folks, ultimately in the storms of life, His purpose is to purify us, to get our attention, to conform us to his image and to equip us. Sometimes we see and understand the storm here, but sometimes we will not understand the storm until we get to heaven. It's cloudy out there today. Have you ever flown on a really nasty, rainy, cloudy day? You go out there to the airport and get on the plane and you think, this is going to be awful. And you go and you take off. And then in about 30 or 40 seconds, you burst through the clouds, and there's beautiful blue sky, and the sun is shining. That's how it is with God. We see from this angle. He sees from that perspective, and it's totally different. We may not know 
why we went through these storms until we get to heaven. Charles Swindoll said the first word we're going to hear when we get to heaven is, ah, it all makes sense now. It also says in verse 33 that they worshiped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. It is very important that we worship him, and we should worship him with all of our heart. And when we worship him, we should become more like him. Folks, if we come to worship and all it does for us is we leave here and we say, oh, that was good, or that wasn't good, or I like this, or I didn't like this, then we have not worshipped the Lord. When we worship the Lord, we see him just like Isaiah. We see him holy and lifted up. And the verdict is, just like with Isaiah, here am I, send me. Worship always calls for a difference. The first little joke I ever learned, I guess I was three or four years old. Uh, my mama's here today, so she's the truth factor in all of this. So it was, it, was, it was that young. But I remember this little joke, and it said the man had a parrot. And he took the parrot to the honky-tonk place every Saturday night. Students, that means sort of like the bar. And so he took them to the honky-tonk place. And he would put his parrot by the jukebox or the piccolo machine. The parrot would say, put a nickel in the piccolo, honky-tonk. Put a nickel in the piccolo, honky-tonk. And the man loved his parrot. And finally got up the courage. He said, I want to take him to church so bad. Finally, he got up the courage to take him to church. He took the parrot to church. The parrot had been wonderful during the whole service. He had not uttered one word. And then the pastor was giving the benediction. And at the benediction, sure enough, from the back row, the parrot says, Put a nickel in the piccolo, honky-tonk. Put a nickel in the piccolo, honky-tonk. And the usher leaned down and said, Shh. Be quiet. You're in church. And the parrot said, same old crowd, same old crowd. (laughs) Now, folks, if we worship the Lord and we go through the storms of life and we're just the same old crowd, then something has gone very much awry. Something's not right. We see the storms are a sure reality. Storms reveal God's providence, power, presence, promises, peace, and purpose. And then we see our response to the storms. We cannot control the storms, but we can control our response. Now, I want to give you some things that will help you this morning when you're in the midst of the storm. And I have taken the word storm. You can take this, you can memorize it, you can use this when you're facing the storms of life. First of all, S. Stay focused on Christ and not your storm. Don't focus on the circumstances. Don't become fearful and fretful, but rather focus on the Lord. Isaiah 26, 3 says, The steadfast of mine you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Passionately stay focused on the Lord. Next, Take the word, the letter T. Trust the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. David Jeremiah said, The God of today is the God of yesterday. If we want to know what to expect from Him, we need only to review His record. Isn't that great? The God of today is the God of yesterday. If we want to know what to expect from him, we only need to review his record. And I can tell you today that the Lord has never let you down. 
He's never told you anything that's not true. He has never failed you. He's never taken you any place you shouldn't go. He's never told you to go any place you shouldn't go. You can check his record for all of history. The Lord is totally trustworthy. Next, take the letter O. Obey his word. John 14, 21 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Luke eleven twenty eight says, But he said, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Some of the storms we're in today are because we're not obeying God's word. I'll give you a case in point. Do we need to ask him about, if we need to pray about something? No, he's already told us this. Do we need to ask him if we need to uh, be checking out somebody's wife or husband? No, he's made that very clear. There are things all through the Bible that God has made clear, and we get into some storms because we don't obey his word. Next, the letter R, release frustrations and bitterness. Rick Warren said, stress always creates all kinds of negative emotions in our life. It creates anxiety, worry, fear, guilt, shame, and depression. It can certainly create frustration, and we don't like negative emotions, so we don't know what to do with them. The most common thing we do when we're under stress is rather than releasing our frustrations to God, we press them down. We push them down inside. Peter didn't suppress them. He cried out, God, help me, And when he was in the midst of the storm. So it's very important to pour our heart out to the Lord. Psalm 62, 8 says, Pour your heart to God, for he is our refuge. Psalm 31, 22 says, In my distress I said, God cannot see me, but you heard my prayer when I cried out to you for help. Folks, tell the Lord. Get it out there. Lay it out there. He already knows, so you might as well tell him. Then, as you release your frustrations, refuse becoming bitter. The Bible says in Hebrews 12:15, Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. It causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Rick Warren also said the Bible tells us that bitterness is far more devastating to your life than stress is. In the long haul, bitterness will hurt you more than the actual problem that you're going through that you get bitter about. It goes on. It's a cancer that eats you on the inside, something that, something that takes over your body like a virus and eats you from the inside out. The Bible is very clear about the danger of allowing bitterness to reside in your heart. Life is unfair. Life is not always fair. Life deals us blows. But there's no point in griping about it and being bitter. The alternative to bitterness is what? Thankfulness. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, no matter what happens, always be thankful for this is God's will in you. Now, it doesn't say to be thankful for it all. It says to be thankful in it all. Rick Warren also said, gratitude is the antidote to bitterness. Studies have shown that gratitude is the healthiest emotion that you can possibly have. You need to find something that you can be thankful for. Count your blessings. Even in the darkest days, you can find something to be thankful for. That's important because you cannot be grateful and bitter at the same time. When you invite gratitude in the front door of your heart, bitterness goes out the back. You can't be grateful and bitter at the same time. You know about Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom, you've probably read her book or seen the movie The Hiding Place, but Corey and her family in Holland hid the Jews from the Nazis. And it came to a point where they were uh, discovered and found out, and so they were sent to the concentration camp. When they went to the concentration camp, they were in the middle of it, and they were trying to think of something they could be thankful for. And they finally decided, we'll be thankful 
for the lice. They say we've got lice in our clothes, lice in our hair, lice in our beds, lice in the barracks, lice everywhere. But we're going to be thankful for the lice because the guards won't come in here. They know that the lice are here and they will not come in here. So what, that happened, what happened was they were able to have Bible studies, they were able to sing and pray, and they became thankful for the lice. That's amazing that we can be thankful for the lice. Next is, well, I'll tell you this also. Yesterday, I was standing out in front of Boyce Chapel, and Gwen Carter had just buried her father. And as they were placing the uh, casket in the hearse, she was over standing near me, and I could hear her saying, Thank you for being my daddy. Thank you for being my daddy. Thank you for being my daddy. Folks, that's thankfulness in the midst of the storm. Next, the letter M. Maintain a joyful attitude and keep on keeping on. Joy is only produced by the Lord and is not contingent on the storms. It's only because the Holy Spirit resides in our heart and life. Psalm 95, 1-3 says, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Proverbs 17, 21-23 says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. And then these verses from 2 Corinthians in the message talk to us about moving on. Since God has so generously let us in on what he is doing, we're not about to throw up our hands and walk off the job just because we run into occasional hard times. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the the, uh, good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now, that's going to last forever. John Ortberg tells the story about riding with some deputies. He said he had opportunity to do this. And he said he rode with these deputies, and they were looking, uh, surveying behind businesses in different areas. And one of the deputies said, you see that parking place right there? He said, after Hurricane Charlie, there was a young man that we found right there. He had his car pulled up, and he had a hose to the exhaust pipe of his car running inside of it, trying to commit suicide. He said, luckily, we found him in time. And he couldn't do this. He said after the hurricane, there were so many that were so depressed, they tried to commit suicide. And then Artberg tells the story. He said, the Lord's arranged it, however, for me to take that ride the day after I read about a woman named Mabel. And he said, Tom Schmidt is the man who told her story. He said they were in the state-run convalescent hospital. He said it's not a pleasant place. He said it's large, understaffed, and overfilled with senile and helpless, lonely people who are waiting to die. He said he went there for a couple of, once or twice a week for four years, just trying to spread some encouragement to people. And he said one day he went down a hall, and he happened to see this lady strapped in a wheelchair. He said her eyes were rolled back. You could see the white of the pupils. He said she had a large hearing aid, so that, that told him that she was almost deaf, that she was blind. And he said half of her face was eaten up by cancer. He said her mouth was so distended that she was just drooling. He said that when a new nurse would come there to work, they would have them to go and feed her 
because they knew that if they could feed her and stand that, they could surely stand anything that was brought their way. He learned that she was 89 years old and that she had been there bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and alone for 25 years. That was Mabel. He decided to speak to her one day. And he said, here, I brought some flowers. May I share one with you? Happy Mother's Day. And she said to him, oh, you know, I'm blind, but may I share this with someone else? And he said, you may. So he said they went around the halls trying to find someone who could even receive the flower. And finally they found someone, and she gave them the flower, and she said, here, this flower for you is for you. It's from Jesus. He said he got to know more about Mabel. He learned that she had had a small farm and that she and her uh, mom had managed this. Her mom died, and Mabel had to damage the farm, and He spent three or four years just going back and seeing Mabel all the time. He said they would read the Bible. Sometimes she would read from the hymnal. Said she never griped or complained. He said during the week of final exams, I had so much on my mind, I finally decided to ask Mabel this question. He said, what does Mabel have to think about? I can't even think, hardly. What does Mabel have to think about day after day, hour after hour? And he asked her, and here's what she said. He wrote these down. I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, talking about the Lord. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then she began to sing these words. Jesus is all the world to me. My life. My joy, my all, he is my strength from day to day. Without him I would fall. What a contrast. What a contrast. Someone who going through the storms of life wanted to commit suicide. And someone who went through all the storms of life stayed focused on Christ. Folks, today... Some of you are in a storm. Some of you are in the ultimate storm. There are those of you listening by television and those of you here in this room who have never trusted Christ as your Savior. And you're in a storm that there's not going to be any calling from. When you die, and it could be today, or Jesus comes back, when your life is over, that storm is hopeless. And you're going to be in the storm of hell for all eternity if you don't trust Christ. There's some of you who are in the storm of non-commitment. There's some of you who have sat out here in this church service for months. I know I've called a bunch of you. And you can't commit yourself to come and join the church. Your address is set. Your business is set. Your home's set. Your children's school's set. But you can't come and put your life in the church because you just don't want to make a commitment to what's really important. There's other of you today who are in personal storms. Some of you storms of your own doing. Some of you storms that have come upon you. They may be from bereavement. They may be from other things. You may know people who are in storms. You may need to just come in this altar and pray today. If you need to trust Christ as your Savior, if you need to get something straight that you're going through, maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's something you're harboring in your life, or if you need to just come and go through the storm of non-commitment and join this church, we're going to have opportunity to do that in just a moment. Now I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. This is not the climax of the service. 
This is not the time to fold it up and start thinking about other things. God has brought us to this point in the service because this is where he doesn't want us to be the same old crowd. He wants to deal in our lives with whatever he needs to deal with this morning. So I'm going to ask that there's no leaving. Don't worry about the beans. Don't worry about the children in the nursery. That's what we have workers there for. I'm going to ask that we be thinking focused on Christ and whatever you need to do, whatever decision you make, that you'll make it this morning. Say, oh, I don't want to go in front of all those people. Let me tell you something. I'd rather come in front of all these people than to stand before God someday and hear him say, I told you what you needed to do on June 10th, 2012, and you didn't do it. I want everybody to bow your head, please. No moving around. All of our attention on Christ. I'm going to ask the choir to stand in just a moment. They're going to sing. Father, I pray today that we would just open ourselves up and be honest to you. Lord, many are going through storms. May we call out to you. Whatever the storm is, may we be honest with you. Whatever the storm is, may we seek you. May we have our total attention focused upon you now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. I'm going to ask you just to remain seated. The choir is going to sing. And if you need to come and pray for someone, for yourself, you need to join this church, you need to make a commitment, trust Christ. Our ministers will be at the front. Come right now as they sing.
want us all to sing those words. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. It's easy to talk about the storm. It's hard to walk through the storm. It's easy to sing the song. It's hard to really mean the song. Would you make that your prayer this morning? Just bow your head and let's sing it. Sing it to the Lord. Have thine own way.